0: Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings. And joining me for the first time, another guest from, from north of the border, another guest from Canada. It's John Pollock. John is the reporter, he is a host, and he's the editor and probably about 200 other things associated with post-wrestling. You can check out his work across a, a multimedia of, of, of forms, audio, written content, video on YouTube pretty much anything to do with media and wrestling john is on it. Uh John, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thanks a lot for the invite, Jesse. I'm looking forward to chatting with you and yes, um always busy as always as we were talking about uh off air, so I'm I'm happy to dive into whatever you'd like to chat about today.
2: Yeah, I was I was talking about this with someone else, but uh do you like do you remember what it was like doing this job before AEW existed?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I I started, um, I got involved with a, a radio show up here in Toronto around like early 2000s and mm-hmm. was doing it there. And just uh, so it's like I've sort of gone through this whole different wave of, you know, where the industry has been and having a lack of a really viable North American competitor to WWE that, you know, Impact served as sort of that default for for a while. Um, I think that, you know, AEW, it has it's interesting to take a step back of like how coverage and in the industry has changed just over these, these last uh, four years, I would say that certainly there seems to be like um, definitely you get the, you know, hardened opinions either way of, of people that are fans of either product or against either product. There's a lot of that, but I, I think to a degree, that's, that's always existed in, in some form or fashion that you have had um that level of coverage, but I guess I've I've never really seen it as like this drastic, drastic change. But overall, I think it's like just much healthier for the industry that that you have a company on stable ground as AEW has been able to achieve.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I totally agree. But I was just thinking in terms of like thinking I, I don't really think that I spend more time thinking or working on wrestling related projects than I did like four or five years ago. But at the same time, it's hard for me to imagine like thinking about how much of my work time and effort is spent on a w and whether it's covering a w writing about a w talking about AEW, and that that energy was spent elsewhere and i can't yeah. really, it's hard for me to remember like do we just did i just talk about wwe way more was i more focused on new japan like did i watch more impact which is probably the case but it's kind of crazy to think that we just added this this huge uh entity that needs to be discussed and covered every single day of the year um, and that we were doing this before we were doing work before this existed. It's just, it's a funny way to think about the workload and the coverage.
0: Well, it's certainly the hours per week are just like that part pre AEW. Like I go back to a period where, you know, you had your three hour RAWs. uh, you know, pre Fox Smackdown is not on Friday nights. It's like Friday nights mm-hmm. were a free night. I don't think impact was as, you know, the, th- I think that was a real low point for, for impact sort of the early anthem days before they sort of picked up Mm -hmm. some more traction over these last couple of years. So you're largely, I mean, a heavy amount of my coverage was WWE, New Japan, UFC, and definitely UFC and New Japan has gone down with the advent of AEW and just the plethora of, Uh, of addition like that's nxt was an hour on a wednesday night and that show just i look forward to nxt every week It was like 60 minutes perfect length and everything is expanded so it's like the hours are daunting at this point when we're looking at the amount of hours that there's pro wrestling every night of the week
2: yeah and it was kind of it's kind of telling like when um when collision was announced and um there was a certain uh, there are certain people, and a lot of them were content creators and reviewers who were like, "Please, no, not another two hours of wrestling." And it wasn't because they're like, "Oh, I don't want to watch AEW," or just like, "Oh, it's you know, I, this it, it's it's going to be this bad show" or anything. It was more just based on like, "Please, not my Saturday nights." I already had to give up. You know, if you're if you're reviewing this stuff, it's it, and you you guys do a lot of like like immediate post show kind of coverage and things like that, and that's harder because you cannot use DVR or like. Uh,
0: um, yeah dynamite that's a killer defense. like dynamite yeah. is a fast show and that's one where like it's just it's a different level of, of oh you're talking about like note-taking and things like. oh yeah that. note like... taking and then yeah we go on like five minutes after it's like raw i don't feel that smackdown i don't feel that but dynamite there are certainly those weeks where it's like you you really got to be on the ball paying attention to everything because man you miss something someone's gonna point out your your omission yeah. on uh In- Outward. And when
2: and when you're doing the immediate post show, because I've been in the situation too, where it's like you don't have the time to like every you're under the stopwatch. You have to be working at their pace. You can't pause for a minute or rewind to see if you miss something. I guess you can catch up during ads, but it becomes like because you don't want to be as a content creator, you do not want to be sitting there looking at your you know YouTube waiting room for people who are waiting for you guys to come on and not be ready to go and not keep those people waiting because you're trying to fill out some last second notes and it becomes this
0: incredible uh, race against the clock. Uh, yeah. We're, we're actually in Canada, very lucky because dynamite does air on TSN, which is the main sports, one of the two big sports broadcasters here, but collision and rampage, they are only on the TSN streaming service, which has no rewind function at all. So it is like, you have to be there at the start and then there's no, you miss something. It's there's no rewinding or anything of, of that function either. So that was, we've kind of tapered back now on, on rampage, but it was, you know, SmackDown, you would watch. And then we flip over to rampage and we had to be done SmackDown in time to start rampage on time. And then it's a solid hour. And then boom, we go on afterwards. And it just got to be such a, um, like it was just a race of, you know, being on time. And if something goes haywire you're you know 10 minutes back mm-hmm. um
2: but besides con- the the sheer volume yes. of content um what the, the the discussion point today and the reason i wanted to have you on john was to kind of part of it is we already touched on is kind of reflect back on um the four years of AEW, but really looking at the kind the, the way that media access and uh our abilities to converse and ask questions to powerful or wrestling executives has changed since the creation of AEW um and it really if you we go back to that pre-AEW state that kind of before AEW was a thing um the the media access to wrestlers and certainly wrestling executives was extremely limited um Vince McMahon did based has has done basically no interviews um and has has really has never really done interviews post like a few he did like a playboy interview um i think that was back in like the late 80s um that's 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 like kind of historically re- remembered he's been on a couple tv shows some of whom which went memorably wrong uh, bad in the 90s but really was inaccessible in terms of being able to ask him questions certainly if you were a member of the wrestling media being able to ask him a question in like a public forum like a like a um, a Q&A call, or a post-show press conference. And ever since AEW has come along, not only do we have uh, an incredible amount of access to Tony Khan and some of the biggest wrestlers in AEW, but WWE has kind of followed suit by having their own post-show pre- uh, press conferences, where if you are a member of the media or the wrestling media, uh, you can get Access to it. I'm not going to say you can get access 100 of the time, and it depends on what kind of outlet you're with. Sometimes, but have,
0: have you been to a WWE? Have you been to any of the WWE post show uh, pay per view? I was at the one in Montreal after right. Elimination Chamber, so that's the only WWE one I've mm-hmm. I've been at. I'm supposed to be at the SummerSlam one in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm, right? Because that's in Detroit. That's not too far from from guys. Um, but yeah,
2: and you've been to AEW once. Obviously, you were at the Forbidden Door show.
0: Yeah, I've been to a few of the AW ones. I was at Full Gear last year and Forbidden Door. Those would have been the, the mm-hmm. two press conferences I've been to.
2: And you've also have you also? I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, but you've participated on some of the media calls, both with kind of both with you know Sean Michaels and in Tony Khan.
0: I I do not. Um, I, I'm not on the NXT calls. I <laughs> I never get the invite for the NXT calls. So yeah, those
2: ones are harder to find. That's interesting. Yeah,
0: it's I mean. like I have inquired in the past, and maybe I should. I I'm also not beating down their door uh, seeking. I i could probably revisit it but the aw ones yeah i i'm on most if not all of those Mm
1: -hmm. ones
2: so this and this is a remarkable amount of access compared to what we had before which was basically nothing
0: yeah i think that in terms of access to um you know your your executive level it was pretty uh, pretty non-existent especially from the, the the wrestling media side of things and even with, with talent, like it would uh, differ. And I've been doing this long enough that I saw that, like, I I had the experience of working in television and how the relationship would be in traditional radio on just like podcast and internet as well. Like certainly your outlet is going to dictate kind of the level of access that you can get as well. And in terms of, I I would say part of the the turning of it, I mean, you did have Paul Levesque starting with the NXT, like, conference calls before the takeover specials and I think AEW just took that a step further and right from the get-go with the very first double or nothing like you had scrums and you had talent that was made available and now those have graduated into the press conferences that you see currently and I would say that it's you can certainly uh, debate some of the the quality of questions asked and Oh, we will. We will. Yeah. Yeah, We will get into all of that stuff. It's a weird amalgamation where I think a lot of the talent as well are somewhat unsure of how they are approaching these. Is this still an extension of the programming that I've just participated in? Or is this like a hard line and I am now reflecting as the performer on the performance I just had, asking, answering real questions? But you can't dismiss like the access that is there to be be pulled from as as opposed to just nothing and it certainly incentivizes media to go cover these events whereas in the past it was like you could have a live show experience but what incentive was there if you didn't have any access to anybody on yeah the, you would weekend, just like be going as a fan basically and like it was yeah like and i and i i drew very little from that like being there in person as opposed to being able to watch the broadcast and you can do a post-show immediately after it's at least like, there are reasons now that are, are worth going to and you see like a hey, Brandon Thurston now that travels and goes to quite a lot of these now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned like, uh, the talent has a hard time, especially in AEW and WWE to a less extent. but I feel like the, the, the dynamics in the AEW and the WWE press conferences are very different. And we'll get into that. Um, but AEW, I think you see some wrestlers are full on in character, and then other ones are very insightful and out of character. Um, and part of that is because I think AEW encourages uh wrestlers to be in character by shooting angles during the press conferences. Like it's part of the show still. Chris Jericho is going to come out and he's going to throw a, a, a bottle cap at a at a John Muse or um uh, which wasn't actually john muse was not part of the show i should clarify that but um but they'll do yeah. angles where a heel wrestler will come and interrupt somebody and tony's got to break gotta be in character for some reason uh and there's other wrestlers that come out like brian danielson that are very insightful and are not going to um really bs you in, in in giving answers and he's not giving them in kayfabe and he's giving real insight into like the professional wrestling process um but I think like you're right about to point of like Triple H did the, I don't know when he officially started doing like the, the pre-takeover calls, but it does predate AEW. Um, and that so that was a kind of a novel concept. We really hadn't seen that in from a major wrestling company. Um, in Japan, they would, you know, dabble with it. And a lot of times the questions are worked, but you would see like press conferences in Japan. And I do think that Tony, so AEW starts like the first official AEW event ever is the press conference down in Jacksonville Florida um which they invited wrestling media to be there um and I know like Nick Hausman when he was working with Wrestling Inc went down there and asked questions and I know they had a subsequent follow up event in Las Vegas I think a few weeks later or maybe like a month later where they you know they announced some talent and things like that but uh and I think I think really like Tony uh, coming from a real sports background, coming from ownership of the Jaguars in a Fulham, where you have press conferences, you have media events, you have Media Day before the season starts, where you, you yourself, you know, coaches, management, and players are available to the media to ask questions. And I do think Tony uh, saw that and wanted to bring that vibe to AEW and to professional wrestling. Um, and I, I think that he maybe i and i don't know if this is for sure but i also think he maybe identified um something that could really differentiate AEW from WWE is we're going to be friendly to wrestling media and we're going to be f- and what does that really mean that means we're being friendly to hardcore wrestling fans that are following wrestling media that are reading wrestling news websites and listening to to prominent wrestling podcasts and going to you know post wrestling or wrestling Inc or the observer or whatever um, and I do think that Tony kind of ad- maybe identified that as as a as a way to differentiate AEW from WWE, um, and WWE I think has has kind of closed that gap in some ways um, by coming up to to AEW's level in 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 uh, in regards to media access.
0: Yeah, it, like I brought up the point before that I think with Tony Khan, there's an there's an aspect that he has in that his gap between executive running a wrestling company and paying fan is only a couple of years that this is somebody Mm -hmm. that was very tapped into the audience that he was part of the audience that he is now trying to attract and on the WWE side it's just a much bigger gap when you're looking at a the last time a Paul Levesque was on the other side of the guardrail or a Bruce Pritchard and I think that that was I think you hit it on the head is that AEW saw an opening and it was, I'm certain Tony Khan's sports background. And as a fan, like what am I seeking out from these performers? And I think like in its early days of just garnering up as much buzz and attention as you can. And if that is having X amount of AW stories across various websites with talent and quotes and stories that that is hopefully going to engage this hardcore fan base to the new alternative that, this was a huge point of the early buzz was being the antithesis to WWE during, I would say like a low point of hardcore fan engagement to the product and using like media access as a pretty simple way to at least open that door and cr- create a, a difference that separates AEW and was going to attract attention from different websites, different media. And I think it also set, set a message of transparency,
2: within the wrestling organization that wwe was really lacking and in some ways still is in the sense of you know wrestling is a carny business with often historical disdain for its own fan base from a management perspective and at the time especially there was a lot of frustration amongst hardcore wrestling fans in the way wwe is being managed who was running creative decisions vince was making decisions other people were making that were frustrating to hardcore fans and turning them off of the product and it was all done very shadowy like we you'd get a report and it'd be like vince changed this thing and he ripped up the script you know 10 minutes before they were supposed to go on air for smackdown and now they had to rewrite it while the show was going on and aw came along and sent this message of these are the people that are running our wrestling company. Here's the guy who's running it. Here are our executive vice presidents who are talents and they're going to be here and they can answer questions and they're going to be able to tell you the fan and they're going to be straight with you what's going on and what they're thinking and what they're planning. And I think that was really refreshing to me as a wrestling fan. And I'm sure to a lot of people to kind of have a level of, um, I don't really call it accountability but kind of personal uh relationship with the people making decisions as opposed to vince being this like despotic figure behind the scenes that is causing all of this chaos that we don't really understand or know um and i feel like to an extent through how these inner, how these media uh, access events, whether they're the media calls or the the press releases or the press conferences, or even Tony giving, you know, interviews on podcasts and things like that. I do feel like that it's not as transparent as it used to be. I think that uh, there's been damage done to the quality of kind of Tony's answers to a lot of things. I think he's a lot more protective. I think he's maybe learned some harsh lessons and in not in, in in uh in being as open and as transparent as he was but it's disappointing as a media member that we I kind of thought AEW would be able to do this better than WWE and push it in a better direction and I feel like that a few years into it it's kind of devolved uh and gotten worse
0: yeah I would say in particular with AEW when it comes to you know, obviously there's there's everything surrounding All Out, which I would say is like a, a massive topic, but then you also have just things like injuries, status of performers, and you would think, given Tony's background, that that would be something that, like, this is almost like transactional news. This is just day-to-day updates, it keeps your fans engaged, um, much to a degree, like, like Jim Ross's Ross report was when WWE used to have that weekly article and it was filled of, you know, status updates. And th- there was like critiques of the product. There was also emphasis on developmental, and, but it was sort of like, here's an, here's your head of talent relations, giving you a three page document every week. And it was sort of just a sidebar for your audience that is seeking out that kind of information. And that's the ki- type of disclosure that seems uh, Tony Khan is most protective of that you we'll see a Scorpio sky disappear and they're just, there is off in the ether for months on end and there's not even whispers uh, about what, what the update is when the the person is recovering and they are sort of like that element I'm surprised at. And I think over time there does come that lack of transparency and I liken it to like with Dana White, who was somebody that was notorious for being a guy that would do all of the media. He would do his scrums with with the media at every single event. Then he started to taper back. And then he started in these last like five, six years, I think he's gone the polar opposite where it's almost impossible to take anything he says publicly without a grain of salt. And I think he's greatly damaged his credibility. And to that, I think he's understood his lack of need for MMA media and is very selective with the outlets that he goes on that are going to be, you know, whether they be influencers or just outlets that are going to be, you know, not as critical about like the UFC business model, for instance, or fighter pay. It's going to be, you know, to Dana's liking where he's very personable in person and he has created much more of a distance between himself and the MMA media when at a time it was such a much more um, interdependent relationship that they, I think both sides enjoyed. And this is a lesson
2: kind of everybody learns when they first rise to power and whether that's becoming the executive of a company, whether that's getting a new job somewhere there. but it's definitely in true in, in my business when it comes to an elected official, if you're going to cover elected official, the best time to start covering an elected official is during the campaign when they first decide to run. That's when you- When they get- need you. That's when they need you the most. And that's when you can form the best, strongest relationship with them. And then, you know, if they get elected, and as time goes on, it they'll become harder to access because A, they'll get burned a few times and they'll remember when they got burned. You can be night, you can get, get it right nine times out of 10, but they'll remember the one time that you got it wrong. Uh and that's just the way it goes. It's part of being in the media, but it's also, I think, a, a very common thing. What has happened? What you just described with Dana, which was Dana enters as this really refreshing, as terms of like, in terms of being like a, a commissioner of a major sport, um, which is kind of like the, mo- the best way I can liken Dana to somebody like a Roger Goodell type or a Gary Batman or someone like that. Um, You know, coming in and being so media friendly and then over time he got burned over time he didn't like some of the critical questions that were being asked of him and i i I don't think tony is not nearly as hostile as dana is in terms of uh you know making enemies of, of people who are who are just trying to do their jobs but i do think that um when aw was this cool new thing without any real controversy behind it uh tony was a lot more amenable to answering all your questions when aw became a full-fledged wrestling company and had controversies and
0: and, in questions um the curtain got drawn back a little bit uh or close shot and i and i look at it i always try and look at it from the 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 various perspectives and i can just say like as you know being someone here looking i'm sure you detect this too is that like i would imagine that like for a tony Khan, what what good he would get out of seeking like the opinions you see online where it's like, this company is under a microscope, but like good, bad, indifferent. It is every little thing is analyzed to such a degree that you could imagine someone in a Tony Khan position, just completely swearing off of any kind of um, openness uh, when it comes to that level of things. And like, I don't know what his social media habits are, but it would be like AEW is like it, it's very unique in the sense that i i don't know of a company that has ever had to answer to so many different uh masters and be under such critical review i would say beyond anyone and i would i would even throw in like wwe in, in that too i think like with wwe of course it comes with its criticism um the degree at which AEW comes under i find is um extraordinary that could i could very well see uh, burning out uh, an individual to want to attract that audience.
2: Well, it also kind of breeds a level of nihilism when it comes to criticism or or real questions, because if you're Tony Khan and you're active on social media, and I think we all know that Tony Khan is active on social media, you are probably seeing uh, a million like inane, unnecess- uh, uh, unremarkable criticisms of your product every single day um, or criticisms of your business practices or, or your booking philosophy or, or whatever it may be. And that kind of will harden you to kind of dismiss all criticism because it's oh it's just that thing today today's big controversy is you know the women's match was only one minute long on Dynamite or whatever it may be each each day. And that can bre- can create like a level of nihilism, a level of arrogance, where none of these things actually really matter because they'll just move on to something else the next day. Or this is just a hater. This is just a you know a WWE hardcore fan or Vince L who just wants to 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 poke at AEW or things like that. And that's a natural response to kind of be to be for that to lead to dismissiveness of all criticism. I think that's definitely the case in WWE. I think WWE and Triple H. I think they see their incredibly successful financial business model and criticisms of the product don't really impact them it certainly doesn't impact Vince he you know would double that da- triple quadruple down on things that people were critical of and i think triple h uh, over the years has while he is a more effective um uh, creative mind at this stage of his career than vince is um i also think that triple h is not really that uh is 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 fairly like uh immune to thinking too much about criticism of the WWE product because he's been dealing with it for twenty five plus years.
0: Yeah, and and I don't think like that is the worst um method to well you have to, to develop it somehow in some you way. absolutely do and and when when Tony Khan was on with Brandon and I about a month ago or so like one of the questions I asked was in this sea of destructive criticism how do you navigate to find honest constructive criticism. And I would say even going outside of your right-hand men in the company that are you always going to get the most unfiltered uh, criticism of the product of people that are working for you. And I think that that is, that's to me, sort of the the delicate balance that you want to understand where are we, where is there valid criticism and who do I, who are those people in that inner circle that I can draw that good faith criticism from, as opposed to, You know, you go on, and as you mentioned, can just simply be dismissing any criticism as bad faith. It's very easy to to do that, and I think um, I can't even say I would be any different to that if I was getting that level of response. And it takes the good and the bad criticism and just lumps it all under the same umbrella.
2: Something I noticed something interesting that happened about a month ago, and it was. We talked i mentioned earlier about tony coming from real sports and kind of how i think that led to him wanting to do the press conferences and wanting to be more media available in a way that athletes for professional sports teams and things like, and and are, and coaches are available to the media for interviews and things like that and um there was a a story a rumor that was going around that uh, a player by the name of jao paulina who is fulham's basically their best player last year um, There's a rumor that he had a release ca- clause in his contract, and in, in for people who don't know, in, in soccer, a release clause basically says that if a team agrees to pay a certain money outright, they don't have to negotiate a transfer fee for with the, with the team that currently owns the contract. They can negotiate directly with the player. So it was there was a rumor that uh, that Jao Polina had a release clause in his contract, and that a team was paying that. And basically, what that means is that Jao Polina is going to be transferred over to another team. And it was a rumor that was making the rounds. There were a few of the uh, uh, football coverage sites in the UK that were reporting it. And Tony on Twitter retweets one of the, the stories and just says, he doesn't have a release clause. This is not true. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm sure that Tony sees many false stories about Aw, are rumors going around about people's contracts, people's situations, things like that? And yet Tony never really takes the time to squash that. He never, he'll never, you know, retweet someone, you know, one of the 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 wrestling news with the Z sites, and um, uh, retweet what they're saying about uh, something that might not be true or reporting on a rumor or just just squashing a rumor. He'll never do that in wrestling. Yet he'll do that for his real sports team. And I found that really interesting contrast because why not? Why? W- what are you getting out of this intrigue? And I do think that there's an element. I think Tony has kind of learned and kind of developed um, this mentality towards this is professional wrestling. This is all a show. This is for entertainment purposes only. And like the truth doesn't matter as much. Clearing the air doesn't matter as much as far as is 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 speculation and controversy actually good for my company? Um, and I think yeah. part of him absolutely believes that. And I think every wrestling promoter in history has believed that. And I think it's kind of like two brains of him, where he has the real sports side, where oh, I'm squashing this rumor right away because there's really no benefit to Fulham to have this rumor going around that they might lose their best player, uh, as opposed to AW if they're like, oh, so and so's contract is up in six months, oh, that could be a storyline. We could work them. We could work fans into thinking it is. And so there's really no benefit to him squashing that. And it, But it's frustrating because I want to live in a world of of transparency. Uh, and I think Tony was our best bet to kind of redefine what transparency meant in pro wrestling. And I feel like he's, like I said, kind of devolved into like your typical carny promoter in a lot of ways. He's still better than like, you know, most of your typical wrestling promoters throughout history. But I feel like we're kind of losing the the open, transparent Tony Khan in his place is a hardened veteran wrestling promoter who's going to keep a lot of things closer to the vest.
0: Well, yeah. And it's frustrating to me when I will hear Tony in some interviews where he will bring up false stories that are out there and be critical of, you know, there's stories I see in wrestling media that I just, they would never fly in other industries. And Certainly, I can appreciate his frustration at that. At the same time, to your point, he has an ability to stop a false story from getting a, getting any significant traction, or at least by him denouncing it, um, that is going to supersede any, any story that gets any legs between it. Like, he can control a lot of the false stories as it relates to AEW, so I don't think you can be both critical and then be like, just take a pass when you see false stories that uh, that emerge. And it, it, to me, becomes this area where, you're right, he is both trying to take, like, the tenets of, kind of, a sports background with the entertainment side of professional wrestling and trying to appease both, which to me sometimes just defeats the purpose of the former. Like, when you are at, like, at the Forbidden Door press conference, like, when I'm at these things, like, let's just be open about like, what are these? Like, what am I here to be as? Am I here as a media reporter and you are in good faith presenting these performers and yourself to take our questions and and, and answer to the best of your abilities and have that dialogue? Or are we background players for your angles that are going on? Because if it's the latter, I have no interest in being part of these. If Chris Jericho is using this as a means to shoot an angle, that is fine. But let's just be open and honest with what these are rather than trying to be both. Because when I'm hearing Tony Khan respond to Chris Jericho in a discerning voice as on-screen Tony Khan, and then moments later he's being asked legitimate questions, how am I to take that answer? Like where are we flipping the switch from one version to the other and I think it just it just clouds the whole purpose of what these press conferences are supposed to be. I hate that.
2: I hate the t- especially when it involves Tony, because Tony's supposed to be, to me, he's Tony Khan, you know, one of, if not the most powerful men in professional wrestling. I guess Vince is the most powerful man in professional wrestling, but Tony as the owner, head booker, has, you know, he's he's such a powerful figure. And I want him to be that figure the person needs in terms
0: of of importance to their company you could certainly argue like we saw an example of of a vinceless wwe a tony Khanless aew is to me a like much bigger shift even if you want to like like i like that to me would just be like that company is a different company if tony Khan is not there Mm -hmm. If, if you know obviously i hope
2: this doesn't happen if tony something were bad to happen to tony con if he were to get an accident and die like would aw even still exist it probably would not yeah like who who's financially backing it and who's taking on the the reins like and i know obviously tony's a young guy so it's not something that's going to be expected to happen in the future but like if we saw vince went away
0: if vince were to drop dead tomorrow like yeah. wwe would go on and they'd be incredibly successful the less morbid version about yeah like, tony khan just he hits a burnout factor like yeah. maybe a year from now um i'm kind of done with this pro wrestling thing like i've got it out of my system and i, I want to create an exit strategy for myself and yeah he could put a team in place but he takes himself out like here is your head of creative here is somebody that produces the shows that runs the shows the books the shows he is he is the true north of this company it's uh, like in terms of like the the central nature of aew it begins and ends with tony khan
2: yeah and you talked about like the angles. so i was at the the death before dishonor uh post-show um press conference that happened last year and tony was 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 that was sitting at the podium as he always is and wheeler Utah was answering questions and daniel garcia you know came out after i think wheeler beat him earlier in the night for the pure title and you know, Garcia came out and I forget what he even said, but he came up through the middle of the aisle and he stood right next to me. And if you, if you, if you watch the, the video of the press conference, I'm sitting there like right next to him looking annoyed. And he's, you know, he's cutting a promo on Wheeler Yuta, uh And, you know, he turns around and he, and he, and he leaves. And I was, I was thinking, at and I'm like, like you, I was like, what is this? And, and what am I doing here? Because I'm here. Cause I have real questions about, this show and ring of honor and aw and the wrestlers on it and i'm here to do that job um i'm not here to be a part of the show i'm not here to be a prop in the background to give some legitimacy to this 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 scripted promo that daniel garcia maybe it wasn't scripted but a scripted moment for daniel garcia to come out and, and yell and set up a future match between the two and it's like i don't if this is what this is going to be, I don't want to be here because my time is more valuable than that. I don't want to be a part of the show. Granted, there was uh, a couple of people sitting behind me and one of them who were both, you know, media members at the show. And one of them looked at the other and said, Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Like they were happy to be part of the show. And there's a lot of people that are at these press conferences that are, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. Um, and I, kind of get the sense that the people, the media members that kind of want to play along are the people who are really attending most of these press conferences now. And I feel like some of the more legitimate sources or the people who are asking more difficult questions have kind of either stopped coming or stopped being as active in the press conferences, just from what I can observe from from
0: watching all of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something I like, like I don't, I, I I'm not as, you know, just, Hard and fast, like, I understand there's going to be sections of the media that that is what they are there for, and they're going to ask their in-character questions and such. It's like, if that's going to exist, that's fine, but I want there to be still representation of people that are going to ask real questions, but it does become difficult when, I mean, like forget that we are just sitting there as an angle is just being presented in front of us. But at the forbidden door press conference, like a media member is like struck in the face. Now it's accidental. It didn't turn out to be uh, a serious injury, but that is like, you are not signing up to leave. Like this, like John Muse was like bleeding as I'm like Mm -hmm. checking on this guy in between questions that he's okay. And to me, it's, it to me it just i left that press conference the most frustrated because it was to me you're trying to do two objectives and i don't think either one is being accomplished and i think like that is sort of like what are these designed to be because if it's just content for your youtube channel you have enough people that can fill these seats and to you and i that's that's probably not going to be our priority if that's where these are going to go
2: also it's like 2 30 a.m and you you've been yes. at the
0: you've been at the arena
2: since like six o'clock just want to go home it was a hell of a hot room as well in that oh uh, t- t- i t- heard t- that there was oh, no air ca- like the for whatever which i could never really understand like it's in a major arena like it it's not like you guys were at the 2300 arena or something like that, or the, the receipt, the PWG venue in Reseda, or like you were at
0: the major arena. Why was there, why is there a room without air conditioning there? Scotiabank arena, very overrated here in Toronto, uh, in terms of media amenities. I, I felt for Brandon to finish the press conference at this ungodly hour and then drive home to Buffalo afterwards. I yeah, mean- no, he, he was texting,
2: he was texting me during, uh during the the, the press conference. And he was like, it's so hot in here. I don't
0: well, this room is <laughs>
2: conditioned. um and to, Tony's just giving this twenty minute, you know recap of of the entire build to the pay-per-view um or or running down an entire card from a from an aW Dynamite from
0: last year or something like that. Uh, I, I said it after the press conference like the the positive of that one was like Brian Danielson, who is doing this with like his fractured arm just like forty five minutes after this injury. And he could not have been better in this setting to the point that long term, I like maybe you, you, if you were a Tony Connor and AEW, you would look at like this guy's too honest, which is not going to be our concern, but he could run these things. I feel I think he would be such an excellent person in that role that can explain from the AEW creative perspective, from an in ring performer side of things. I just think he's such an excellent ambassador for that company that can be utilized in a lot of these these roles that is creating that dialogue with the media in a meaningful insightful way.
2: Yeah I think like like Danielson I think is has is really great in the the pressers. Um I think that Chris Jericho is almost always really good. Um in a similar way like he's not like Chris Jericho will tell you like exactly what he was going for, exactly the creative that was behind his feud. He gives you real insight into how his brain operates and kind of what they were trying to do out there and talks in a way that like a, 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 a an athlete would after a press conference and and some other people are taking it like, and being in character, like Tony storm is very clearly in character during her segments. And I think she's entertaining from a wrestling perspective, but at the same time, like I don't want to ask Tony storm a question and have her yell at me and be rude to me and tell me I'm stupid. Like is in character thing. That's stupid. Why would I want to participate in something like that? Um, but some other people are are going to jump at that opportunity. Um, and I do think that kind of varies on the talents. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to Tony himself, who's mostly going to give the most insightful thoughts because he has the most power and he has the most authority to speak on these kind of things. And he always, you know, Tony is gracious with his time. He'll sit up there for 90 minutes and answer questions. Um, I wish he would sometimes answer them more efficiently uh, as he tends to, to get, get rolling downhill, remembering something, but he's very generous with his time, which I think is helpful. Um, but I think ultimately the onus is going to also fall on the media and being able to ask Tony the right kind of questions. And I, I would imagine that at any given, well, I shouldn't really say that because, um, I'm remembering like who was in the room with me when I went to the ring of honor, uh, Presser, and I would say that most of the people in the room would have backgrounds attending press conferences for non-pro wrestling events, whether it was real sports or other things. Um, but I do see a shift when you start letting in podcast hosts. Oh, wait a minute, I'm podcast hosts. Maybe that's not right. But when, when you start letting in podcast hosts or YouTube content creators or prominent Twitter personalities that maybe wrote an article once or twice, you start getting a lot of questions people that have never been in that setting before. And they, they, what they're going to, what questions that they're going to ask and the questions that they're almost interested in asking are not going to align with what I think like you or I, or a Nick Houseman or Justin Barrasso um, or someone like that is going to ask.
0: Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm certainly seeing that, that shift again, I'm going to lean a lot to like MMA of, where you are seeing a lot more of kind of your influencer style media. And that's going to dictate their line of questions. Like there was a, it was during the Jake Paul, Nate Diaz press conference about a month or two ago. And there was, I'm trying to just remember the details, but there was like a question that was like a prop question by one of Jake Paul's teammates. That was like under the guise of media to try and upset Nate Diaz and create this, YouTube clip or TikTok clip out of it. And that was like the strict design. Like, this, like, that's the thinking. That is the objective here. Get a question that is going to elicit some confrontational response that we can thus generate views for, which is a totally different perspective than you or I are going into a press conference like this for. And, and thus, like, your, your medium is also going to dictate this. Like, for some that go to an AEW press conference and MJF walks in and cuts a promo. That's gold for them because we can just get this up online and this is going to be MJF goes off on the media in a big headline and you have a screaming picture of MJF as your avatar and, and that's a win. And to you and I, I'm, I keep speaking for you, Jesse, so you can disagree. That's okay. I agree with everything you're saying, John, keep going. I have nothing to, I have no, I cringe at these moments in the press conference and I can appreciate an MJF on camera performing this character, but this is not the show, the show ended. We're talking about the show at this point. And it's just, it's just odd to me that it seems like that's going to be more and more of these. And you're right. It is to a degree, like the, the media still does have a control over this. Like I have sat down with plenty of wrestlers over my time covering this. And there's been times where the subject starts off and they are in character. And thus it's my line of questioning that's going to steer them into the kinds of the kind of conversation I want to have and 9 times out of 10 they're going to get the clue here of the questions I'm asking and realizing it's almost like they want to get the signal to put their guard down and and the questions are going to dictate that but not all people are going to necessarily be striving for that kind of answer.
2: And I think whether it's Tony, whether it's Tony's media people, whether it's the wrestlers themselves, now that they've done a few of these press conferences and they see some of the same people and they hear and they 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 can hear from them when they do the media calls and things like that, they kind of know who is going to ask what types of questions. And I do think that they can kind of cue things up where they can be like, "Who's going to ask us a softball question? Who's going to ask us a kayfabe question?" And all kayfabe questions are softball questions by their very by their nature. If we're going to use the term softball. Um, who's going to ask and who's going to ask us maybe a more challenging question that maybe we're going to have to either no comment or not really answer or duck. And they're aware of who the people in the room are going to ask those questions. And since they're running the press conference, they do control some authority over asking those questions and, and who is going to get to actually ask questions and who's going to get, who is going to get to ask three questions at the press conference and who is going to ask one. And I'm pretty sure you can, I can bet who's going to be able to ask three based on the content of what they're asking. Um, and, and they're all very aware of that. And I'm sure WWE is as well.
0: Yeah. I'll just say, from for like my experience, like at the AEW press conference, like at both, like I, I was free to ask questions at like both. Like when I would make the signal, they mm-hmm. made a concerted effort to get to me. And I'm not saying, listen, like whatever people want to have their opinion of, of me, of where wherever they want to uh, categorize me, um, but it's it's certain, like you you do know the ones that are going to ask the more serious questions, and I mean that's ultimately over time, like you're you're going to see, like is there. Is there going to be that, that openness uh, in, in terms of it and, and how they are, how those questions are handled as well. Like you, that's part of like what you're signing up for when you're holding these and these media people are here and you're up on stage, like, don't be baffled when you get a serious question and you need to be prepared to answer it or at the very least no comment it, but um you know, these are people that I think like you have to be prepared. I don't think it's a coincidence that we haven't seen uh, Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks in any of these press conferences since they've come back. And despite CM Punk being on early in the show with Satoshi Kojima, I don't think it was a coincidence that he wasn't at the Forbidden Door press conference afterwards, despite what uh, Tony stated at when he was asked.
2: Right. The executive vice president of the company and a the biggest star in the company uh, not making appearance in these press conferences. When previously they were all over them, especially CM Punk, he was like the first guy out. He's been, you know,
0: and would talk for and, a long And again, time. To, to, to the point about people that are eloquent and open, I place Kenny Omega very high on that list. Mm-hmm. I mean, right before AEW started, he was up here promoting um that, that documentary that was done on him that aired on TSN here and he dude they put him through the media gauntlet and did every type of press you could imagine he did a like our version of the view Yeah, on that seen, on i the, saw that one CB. that's very funny like, yeah he, he was like he was excellent and he's he's a thoughtful interview and but uh, he has not been used in these press conferences and you know you can probably understand why like knowing that you know this is still the elephant in the room and I would hope that he would be asked if he is put in a situation like that. Yeah. There's a really good article
2: I wanted to call attention to. I don't know if you read it, John. It came out a couple of months ago. It's uh it's on a website called bo- boxingnewsonline.net. And the headline is how the grooming of new media has helped facilitate an abuse of power in boxing. And it's by uh, a journalist by the name of Elliot Worsell, um, who's a UK-based boxing reporter. And he writes a lot about how You know the major boxing uh promoters and the the people that are promoting major boxing have cozied up with your your influencers your bloggers your youtube content creators your twitter personalities and they are inviting those people to you know the pre-fight and post-fight press conferences and those people are asking not necessarily planted questions but they're asking questions that are going to be friendly to the promoter Um, and as a, as a serious hardened veteran boxing reporter, the, from the writer's perspective, he's, he feels like he's being, you know, horned out of it. And, and because they're, instead of having a bunch of veteran media colleagues that are attending these things, it is now essentially friends of the promoter. And I think a lot of what he writes is applicable to, to wrestling media. And I, I, I retweeted it and a bunch of people responded to me being like, you can throw UFC in it as well because it's turning into the exact same thing where there's this friendly to the, the company network of people, many of whom are probably people who don't have journalism degrees. And I don't think that having a journalism degree is paramount to being a good journalist, but I'm, or or maybe they lack any types of formal training in journalism outside of reporting on this, this niche hobby that they have. Um, And you're going to get, worse questions and you're gonna get a softer media environment. Um I, even to the degree of like you said in the Jake Paul situation, like a plant, like literally a plant to ask a question. I know in one of the WWE post pay-per-view shows they had one of the hosts of the bump asked a question, which is obviously like not a real member of the media. Um and so you have these kind of people that are are wasting everyone's time by asking questions that are just part of the show.
0: I think that it's certainly – it's like they are – it's like what's better than um, the the presentation of transparency? It's the idea of presenting oh, yeah. the idea of transparency. And that's sort of what it is, is that in, in the world of WWE, like Kathy Kelly plays a reporter. She plays a journalist. And I think like you start from there, and it's like that is our level of – like coverage and i think like to a degree i think that is somewhat what a company views the extended media as uh-huh. like just apparatus of and not understanding there are people out there that are trying to do actual reporting that if you're a wwe i mean to to what gain is it for them to um to, to seek out that 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 kind of coverage like i think there's surface level coverage wwe looks for is it digging deep, are they really seeking that out? I don't think they are. And I think that that is sort of comes to a head with this discussion we have on the, the press conferences themselves. But um, you know, boxing is, you know, I'm further removed from boxing, but it seems like there there's no difference in kind of the discussion we're having when, when it comes there. And like outlets that are out there, it's, I think it's also worth looking at the outlets that need that access that need to keep these relationships intact versus ones that can operate truly independent of what their relationship is with a company i can't go into a wwe press conference or an aw press conference with the mindset of boy i can't i can't go too far here because then i might not get get invited back i think if you're going in there with that thought you almost have to disclose that to the audience it's the idea that like my i am in a i'm in a position enough where if i don't get access to any of these press conferences if i don't get access to interviews i can keep chugging along and i'm not as reliant upon interviews i'm not as reliant upon uh, being here for for these press conferences it's not as though this is some type of content that is changing my bottom line either it's it's great that you can be there and you would hopefully have that level of dialogue but at the same time it's not going to change my day-to-day work without it but i don't know how many people like that exist out there as well the ones that you know do rely upon this and do rely upon being able to have a relationship where they can get interviews on a regular basis and the companies feel safe in dispersing their talent to those outlets Like that's another aspect. And the more you get a, of the level of revenues we're talking about with UFC and WWE, they can be very selective in, in who they, they opt to work with. It's not the same as where they are getting like, where they are going to value this media exposure as interdependent.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, not even people that are relying on access to
2: talent for their or, or access to, to the promotion itself as, as, as their business model even just anyone that wants to that dreams of one day having ww talent on their show or something like that they're coming in with that mentality of i want to be on good terms with these people not i want to cover these people in an accurate and truthful way um i was talking to this once i was sitting at a aw event um with uh, someone who has their own uh podcast uh, and they interview wrestlers and they, you know, have gotten a number of WWE wrestlers over the years and they're fairly regular WWE, uh, fa- fairly regular WWE and AEW guests. And I was talking to them about this and they said, they were, t- you know, they were talking about, uh, you know, it was right after the Vince McMahon scandal, the first, Wall- the first Wall Street Journal story broke. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think he had, you know, resigned yet. I think he was still trying to fl- like, He had come out on SmackDown and, and, thanked everyone and he was still on that stage. And, you know, he was complaining about, oh, people complain about us not asking questions in the press conference. And, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, Vince McMahon was in front of me. You think I would ask him about the scandals? And he's like, no, absolutely not. Why would I do that? I'd ruin my relationship. And I was like, well, like I would, uh, cause it's by far the biggest story that's happening in wrestling right now. Um, but his product is relying on these interviews with people. And when I was trying, I was talking to about him, and he's like talking about how you know, oh, I can't ask this question, I can't ask that question because it would, you know, got to keep them on good terms. And my my question would be, if you can't ask people questions about the most important things that are happening, how valuable is your interview at all if you're just asking them all surface level, like fake bullshit, like? What kind of value is your interview? What kind of value is the information you're getting? And what kind of value are you bringing that to people? If it's just all this surface level fluff that people really aren't going to care about. Um, and if you're limiting yourself to only asking friendly topics, that's ultimately what you're going to get most of the time. Occasionally, someone will say something crazy unprompted, but for the most part, like by playing it safe and, and trying to remain on friendly terms with the subjects that you're interviewing, you're really not going to get that much, that many, that many interesting interviews, especially when it's, you know, you're I'm interviewing this famous person.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a side of it that, that you also look at, like when, when Dana White had the whole uh, slapping incident with his wife at the beginning of the year, and he opted to go in front of the media and he gave his statement and he took questions and, I mean, whatever you want to think about um, the, the subject itself, like today, like that has not stuck with Dana White, it feels like. It was like it was a story for several weeks, but things have gone on and Dana White exists and Dana White moves on. And it's almost as though it's... Like, what would you think of putting yourself in front of the media and no one would have brought up that question? Like, what is your thought of I am at such a level that I can go up after this national story has broken and no one is even going to bring it up to me? I mean, it would just be uh, preposterous um, to, to do so. Well, and... people people did ask Dana about it. Yes, I, I'm stating in, in the case yeah. of a Vince McMahon, if you were to get up there and nobody asks him a question, I mean, it would it would look ridiculous but like what does a Vince McMahon think about that that I can get up and unprompted to anyone no one is even going to call out the 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 giant elephant in the room on me and yeah and Dana White addressed it and he suffered no consequences for this I mean his rationale was I have to live with this label for the rest of my life that's that's the punishment and and it went away like he he has not, not to anyone's knowledge uh he was not penalized in any way his power slap got delayed by a week on tbs and and now he he can go back out he's you know the outlets he goes on it's it's not going to come up it's like it's this entry on his wikipedia and that's what it was contained to
3: in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking maybe i can pull a Ken Griffey junior rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, club.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast
2: Yeah, well, I mean, during the height of the entire Vince McMahon scandal, resignation, all of that, you know, forcing his way back into power, um, Triple H was giving interviews during that. He was doing the post-show press conferences, and he would get up there, and he'd feel totally comfortable, and no one would ask him a single question about Vince McMahon um, because they know who's going to ask these questions, and the wrestling media isn't interested in asking them. And it's extremely frustrating to me because – uh, I wish people would would be able to, to want to hold them more accountable. And the, the, different, the I think a major difference between the WWE press conferences and the AW ones is that if you go to the AW ones, you'll get to ask questions. There's not really that many people who go, and they're like two and a half hours long. The WWE yeah. ones are like 30 minutes. Triple H will take like four questions, and there's like 50 people there. Um, so they can really kind of control... Who's asking what? Even if they're not necessarily dictating, don't ask this question, don't and do that because I have I've got no uh, um, evidence to suggest that that is happening. Um, but they can kind of control it because there's the access is still limited even if you're having a press conference. But it, it to me is totally ridiculous that. Triple H can stand up there and not every single person asks him that question. You know, at least in the in the case of AEW and Tony facing the media, people ask him about CM Punk and the Elite. They ask him all the time. He doesn't give an interesting answer. He no comments he says he can't talk about it. He'll defer, he'll talk about Samoa Joe and CM Punk instead. Um, but he will, but people do ask him those questions. I'll at least give him that credit. Triple H stood up there and I, I think maybe he got like one question loosely about, you know, taking over or being in power. But he never got a question about, you know, I don't know, like, hey Triple H, you're on the board of directors. Like, what do you think about, you know, Vince Vince McMahon resigning? What do you th- did you know that Vince McMahon had these NDAs before the, uh, the the Wall Street Journal story broke? Because the board was apparently doing an investigation before that. Like, all of these questions that you could have possibly asked Triple H, and no one asked any of them. And I think that the the conclusion to a lot of this, and I think a lot of the frustration that I have about the quality of questions being asked is that wrestling fans don't care. And if their wrestling fans were interested in, in kind of having people ask these questions, there'd be more people asking them, but the business is more in superficial, you know, stuff that you can toss out clickbait headlines. Like the, you use the MJF cuts of promo on the wrestling media as an example of kind of one of them. But I think that's where the interest is in for a lot of people who are reading wrestling news online, it's not necessarily into like a long, thoughtful, critical examination of something. Um, and that ultimately is a kind of like the economic factor that, pre- that prevents, I think, more substantial information from coming from these kind of media access events.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's, you know, to... As well, like it's it's now become like the, the like this wrestling media term. Like, what does that elicit uh, in your mind? It's typically like a negative viewpoint, and I think that's I think that's a dangerous place to be. Where if a very serious story comes out and and from a reputable outlet, that it's almost like we we have like weaponized this term that it can be dismissed as this is just some BS wrestling media story that it is that it somehow lacks teeth. And I think it is important to kind of discern between like your, your quality outlets and ones that that are not, and there's a wide range of them, but everyone kind of just gets lumped into the the same category. And I think when you see these press conferences, it kind of pushes like those like casual observers to just to more easily lump everyone together when there's a handful of voices that you hear and questions that you uh, might scoff at and, that is just the wide brush that is used to paint with.
2: Yeah, I think it's something that I've become cognizant of because I have said many different critical things about wrestling media in general and I've done it on this podcast, I did it a few minutes ago. But at the same time I've become annoyed when people use the broad brush term. Oh, it's wrestling media. Oh, all wrestling media is bad. I'm like no, it's not. There are plenty of people in wrestling media that I think are doing an excellent job. Um but the, so so, but I do think that like this broader uh, um, uh, kind of atmosphere of wrestling coverage, um, there are some negative aspects of it that do taint it. And a lot of people, like I wouldn't even really want to consider media. Like if you run up, like are if you're breaking news, if you're getting scoops or you're doing stories or you're writing long articles with different sources, that to me is like proper wrestling media. If you're just like someone with an opinion and you're having a podcast, kind of like what I do, that's not really like a major figure of wrestling media. Um,
0: I look at you as a major figure of wrestling media. Thank
2: you. Well, I would say WrestleNomics is totally different. WrestleNomics is... Like and obviously Brandon does most of the work on wrestling, but it is to me like that is actual wrestling media. We're doing original reporting and fact finding and getting sources and things like that. The gentleman's wrestling podcast is just me and my friends riffing on stuff. So it's not it's not as as critical. Like I I do real reporting for my shoot job. Um wrestling is more of a hobby, but I think that um I, I don't like the like you said, like it's become a loaded, like almost weaponized term that's used to dismiss everything. I think like, even like, you know, Dave Meltzer and Sean Ross Sapp, I think that um, the way their personalities are on social media, especially on Twitter, I think might make some people think that their reporting lacks credibility um, or something like that. When I think, but for the most part, when both of those guys have real scoops in, in, in breaking news stories and things like that, it's mostly accurate. Um, And that you should take them seriously because they both have a a long track record of being well-sourced within the companies that they cover. And just because you don't like that they tweeted something once or twice should not necessarily discredit that they have viable reporting. But I think for some people, you see something someone said once. And like there are people out there that believe that Dave Meltzer is a terrible reporter because he didn't give Shawn Michaels and Undertaker five stars at WrestleMania 25. That's like a real thought that I'm sure many people have. And it's ridiculous to think that, but it's true.
0: Yeah, the, the the star debate is one that I just I, I can't wrap my head around the the oxygen it takes people to get so wrapped up about, but it's 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 a real thing. And I just I'm just amazed that like of the content that comes out in that newsletter every week, that it can be distilled down to like some some star ratings as like to me it's like it's such a little add-on that it's just like it's like in I have never and maybe I'm Maybe I'm alone on this, but it's like I can read a movie review and and do if I love a movie and my favorite critic says this was the shits, it's like that is never going to impact my enjoyment of of a movie. It's not going to change my opinion of it. It's like you liked something and I didn't, and to get upset over it, it's I just I'm I have no connection to that emotion. That that elicits. it's a few asterisks at the bottom of a of a match recap. <laughs> well, it's, what it, what it is
2: the reason it exists like this is because um, it's out of all of the work that Dave does, it's the easiest to digest without actually consuming Dave's work. You don't have to listen to his audio and you don't have to read totally. the observer. Totally. You can see on Twitter or you can see on cage match or wherever it comes out. I know some wrestling news stories, some wrestling news sites will do Dave Meltzer star ratings for this week. Whenever the observer comes out and they'll have the list of them, like people can come across them and to them, that is Dave's opinion on things. And if it's it it, it in, that will leak into how people view him as a reporter or just his opinion on anything. Which, in the funny aspect of it, is Dave has given high ratings to matches he says he doesn't even really like. Which I don't really understand that logic, but he's he's done it plenty of times, particularly matches that involve a lot of blood and violence and dangerous spots.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just I think that it's you know, you're. I think it's just it's totally healthy that you can have like debates and stuff over like what you like versus what someone else liked. but i just i don't even know at, at like i get it but even when i'll get pushback it's like i can't believe you like this it's like you loved it why would you care my opinion differing from your does that alter is that like is it a letdown for you that i didn't think the same thing about a match as you did because we can have very differing views of a match and it should not impact you're viewing it all because an hour later you hear me being down on the, on the, on the same match. So I don't know. It's easy argument material and you're right. It's the easiest information to take from the observer that can just get thrown on there. And it's just, it's perfectly designed to elicit an emotion online from people that you, you gave them this as opposed to this quarter more, which isn't even a disagreement. Like it's a small, like, It's wild to me. Like wild. The scale I I wish it was like percentages. And it was like Dave gave ninety percent for this match, and people are it should be ninety-five percent. Like, could you imagine? Like that's us arguing numbers, like literally numbers. Like that's what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's what the scale. It. it, I mean, that's what the are arguing. An essay, like a philosophical essay, that someone gave a ninety percent to, and you're arguing it should be ninety-seven percent. That's what your your exam should have been on your philosophical debate on whatever topic.
2: Yeah, I mean that. I mean, and that's what the star system is. It is a scale. Like I I forget, I'm terrible at math, but like every quarter star is is worth what, like five. So the difference mm-hmm. between four and a half and four and a qu- four and three quarters is five is five percent or whatever. Um, it might be even less than that. Again, uh, uh, I was a humanities major, not a math major. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that that kind of comes down to um, people's personal opinions, and I think that some people like if someone has a someone really thinks the match is great and someone comes in and says i didn't really think that match is great and here's why and you actually give a good explanation for why you didn't think it's great some people will think hmm, that's a different perspective of looking at it but some other people will be threatened by not only that you didn't think it was as good as them but you also had a explanation that was pretty well thought out why you didn't think it was good as them and that's some people will have an actually hostile Reaction to that, being like, how dare you try to make me think something different than what I already thought? And that's comes from people with a lack of curiosity and insecurity about their own opinions that will then take a very defensive, aggressive stance against your attempts to sway them in some way, even when all you're doing is
0: giving an honest opinion about a wrestling match. Um yeah. And I always try to be open too, because I realize that for most of the matches I'm watching is like I'm actively taking notes. I'm watching extremely closely. That is not the, the norm for most viewing. Like mm-hmm. it's a much more kind of passive viewing that, that you're having where it's going to be like high points of a match. What are like the, the bullet points of a match or whatever, whatever hits with you uh, the most. And there's going to be a variance. Like I find like it's, it's a different viewing experience if I'm just sitting back and watching a match versus – I've got my head here as I'm furiously typing. Like that's, it's just a totally different um, experience you're having too as like a reviewer. Yeah, and that's a general um, kind of thought that I've had a lot about
2: when it comes to people like yourself or people like Dave or Wade Keller or whoever who are doing so much work each week, reviewing, recapping, talking about wrestling every day, thinking about wrestling every day, writing about wrestling every day, um, that your perspective on the product is going to be different than everyone else's The the whether it's the more regular weekly viewer or the casual fan that's sampling the product here and there and i always try to be cognizant of mm-hmm. who are these people really and i and one of my least favorite trends in wrestling is people making arguments uh on behalf of the casual fans or this is how you're going to attract new fans or you need to do this to do that and it's coming from people who's view of wrestling is entirely controlled by their career and how much they're consuming it. And they're doing it in such an unhealthy, unhealthy is not the right word. They're doing it in (laughs) such a a volume rate, And they're talking about, they're examining it so closely that they really don't have a ton of credibility to argue on behalf of the perspective of somebody whose experience with wrestling is relatively limited. Um, And I always find like that leads to some of our dumbest like arguments and things like that which is to attract the casual fan you've got to do this and my um experience when talking to casual fans and people who have uh sampled wrestling here and there is a really wide variety of things attract casual fans and a really wide variety of things turn fans off and there's really no general rule but people sometimes like to argue their favorite chosen points on behalf and use the the casual fan as the uh the the hypothetical person that agree, usually typically whose views typically align with whatever the reviewers views are.
0: Um, yeah, th- there, there's also the the uh, I find the the extrapolation of something so minute that we use like you're you're out in the wild and you see a bullet club shirt and it's like, oh, my God, they've crossed over like I was at the mall and someone walked down at bullet clubs, maybe like the not the best example, but let's say we saw like, you know, a someone was wearing a Jack Swagger hat. It's mm-hmm. like, and it's like the most anecdotal of evidence points that suddenly like a real person has this hat. People are just sleep and Jack Swagger, Jake Hager means nothing to the, to the, uh, the hardcore wrestling fan, but it's clear. Like there's this big disconnect because my God, I saw this at at the seven 11, a guy wearing a Jack Swagger hat and um, sort of like it's, it's like you see any evidence of wrestling outside your normal confines of your computer screen. And that, that's the real uh, barometer of overness.
2: Right. And I always try to, through my own, you know, interactions outside of the wrestling bubble, whenever I talk about wrestling or I find people who are into wrestling and I'm on a few other like message boards or websites where they're not wrestling based, but they might have a wrestling forum or something. And I get to talk to really fascinated almost constantly, including one of the guests, I had a guest on the show um, last year. Uh, and his, he literally was just like a casual fan that I knew in real life that he had purchased. Um, I think he purchased AEW revolution and he told me it was the first pay-per-view he's purchased since like WrestleMania six. And I just, I had a ton of questions for him because I wanted to know, like, Like, what made you want to watch the show? Like, what are you looking for in pro wrestling? Why did you buy an AEW event? What do you think about when you watch WWE? And he's just one person. So he can't speak on behalf of all casual fans. But I thought like what he was saying gives a lot more insight uh the main thing is that he's not a complete idiot which is what most people seem to think casual fans are or that they're the world's dumbest people that need absolutely everything explained to them and cannot pick up on any context clues whatsoever and expect to understand every single aspect of a pro wrestling show when they turn it on which is usually when i get uh which is usually like the dumbest arguments i hear
0: yeah i have based especially over the last two years. Like I really got into F1 significantly during the the pandemic and and watching it. And, you know, it's like to the point, like I'm getting up early on Sundays, like with my kids, I watch the races and stuff Mm -hmm. and I follow it along at the same time. I would to like the dyed in the wool F1 consumer, I would never want them to alter their product for me. It's like, this is something that like, if I can catch this, I do. It's like, I enjoy it, but not to the point that I feel I would be the person you should be striving so hard to appease because it's like, I understand it at a very periphery level and can appreciate it. And you're always trying to like, the the
2: argument would be on behalf of some sort of uh, concern or demand that, f1 grow its audience like AEW needs to or wwe needs to although is doing a pretty good job at the moment um and so like they should be catering to people like you john because there are a lot more people like you out there than there are for these hardcore fans that let's face it are gonna watch no matter what and so that would be the argument that they would use um but of course it's absurd and of course like w- the first time you ever watched an f1 race you weren't like I better. They better explain who every single one of these drivers are, and every single one of these teams, and every single thing about the course. And Where's if they the don't, packages? yeah. And if they don't, I'm <laughs> switching the channel because I I'm gonna be confused, and I expect to know everything, which is always, um, you know, it happened last week when Koda came out, and everyone's like, oh, I don't know about you know Koda Bushi. I don't know like if uh, you know, they're they built him up big, but he's just this guy. I don't think anyone really you know a lot of people aren't gonna know who he is. And I'm like, you don't need to know who kota bushi is because they presented him like he was a big deal the live crowd went crazy when they saw the video package for him and everyone in blackpool combat club was like oh my god it's kota bushi we're afraid of this guy that's all you need to know if you're never heard of him before is you're like oh okay this guy must be a big deal i wonder what he's gonna be like i better tune in next week to find out and like that's how like I feel like most people operate, but we live in a world, especially with wrestling, and especially like the microscope you talked about, where this stuff is being totally overanalyzed um, to an absurd. Did degree. you did you go to Blood and Guts on Wednesday? Uh, it's it's a tragic story, John. I didn't. Oh, I had. Did um, no, I had I had shoot job obligations, um, and I uh, I I was I I really couldn't go. Um, and then when Abushi was announced, and I was like. All right, I'm gonna to try to go. Like, um, and I requested a a, um, a credential pass. And I got it, and so I was I was like, all right, I'm gonna go. And then just as like Tuesday came, and I was just like, I really can't go to this without like really shirking my job. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and uh, so I so on Wednesday, and I was having like all this anxiety about like how am I gonna pull this off? How am I gonna do both things at once? Um, and I just said like, you know what, I gotta be an adult and I, I can't
0: like ignore my job to go to a wrestling show. Uh, well, a responsible choice. What the next time they come back, I would assume they run TD garden again. What what do you figure a non blood and guts dynamite could draw? Like just, you know, you have some, some strong storylines going, but you take up blood and guts from the equation. Let's say like six, seven months from now, what they could, cause I, I thought it was a home run that they got like 9,000 people mm-hmm. to, go to the TD garden yeah um
2: yeah i mean i thought it was a really big when they first announced it i thought it was a big gamble to run the garden because Mm -hmm, me too they i had been to all their shows that they had run at the aganis arena which is about a five thousand seat venue um and after selling it out a few times i think they did like something like thirty eight hundred. um the last time they were in uh boston which i think was back in like november um and so i was like all right, so they 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 had their lowest drawing show ever in Boston, and they're coming back and they're going to run a building that's three in like a quarter times the size of the Agganis Arena. And it's certainly going to be more expensive to rent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big gamble, and I wouldn't say like their ticket sales had dressed; they weren't way hotter than they were back in November. But um, I think that. With, and obviously like I said it was a home run it felt big they had a really big crowd um I was able to, like watch it on TV obviously so I was able to see you know like the the visual presentation of it it felt like a really hot Dynamite um but if if, if I'm th- looking at it and I say like what do I think they're gonna draw next time I'd say like five thousand yeah. maybe it depends look and, and obviously blood and guts has a has a has a Brands recognition at this point, which is, it's really important that AEW establishes these kind of things. Yeah. Like this is a match that is going to draw on an annual basis, just like how WWE has the Royal rumble, which is going to sell out um, or do a stadium show with it every year. It doesn't really matter who's in the Royal rumble. It's just, it's an event like this money in the bank to the same extent, you know, doesn't really matter who's in money in the bank. People know it's important and people recognize it each year. I think establishing things like blood and guts, um, is really important
0: to doing that so
2: um if and, they were gonna come- match
0: your competitors can't do under its like you're not going to see a, a level of that oh yeah in wwe and that's mm-hmm. I, I think important as well that you will differentiate
2: the survivor series war games was in boston
0: yeah yeah so people and- had seen us but the
2: the matches themselves are, are, are wildly different uh, um but yeah i mean i would think if they're gonna come back to the td garden a big thing I think for AEW in general is they sh- probably should only run like once or twice a year in some of these major markets instead of, you know, three or four times, which is what they were doing. And like, they obviously do that in Chicago, but they, you know, they were running Boston a couple, you know, three or four times a year. They were running, you know, Philadelphia around the same market, New York, New York's a little different because it's New York. Um, but Um, you can't run, like, I think they, they, and now that they've kind of ventured out to the West coast and they, they, you know, they've been through Canada, there's a little bit more of a, um, space for them to, to kind of tour, but they're also adding collision, which has got its own separate tour dates. So (laughs) probably not going to, to see the less, but I would say 5,000. And I don't know, I don't know if 5,000 is a financially feasible number to run the garden. I would probably run the Guinness arena if I was going to draw 5,000, but you never know. I, I think when they do come to their major, Um, a major city and boston's not necessarily the largest city but it is a historically extremely strong wrestling market you know um you know just like toronto is toronto is much bigger than boston but it's the same kind of thing they're even if they're just doing a dynamite and it's not necessarily a special dynamite like blood and guts and it's not a pay-per-view they're gonna make sure that there are big matches on that card um i feel like when they're when they're doing that like um when they ran the dynamite in Toronto, like what was the main event of that show? The first one.
0: Um, the first one was, it was something involving Jericho. I want to say it was Jericho and Danielson, I think was on that show.
2: Okay. So yeah, but we're talking about a, like a pretty major match. Mm -hmm. Like, so when they, when they have those big dates and they're running a big venue, I think they know this is what we got. We got, we, we can't just have a run of the mill dynamite. We got to deliver. Um, Tony mentions they're running a a pay-per-view every single time he's in Boston. Um, So they could be back with a pay-per-view. It obviously at this point would have to be revolution or full gear. Um, But so maybe revolution next year. I don't think they'll be back in Boston this year. Um, So, and and that, you know, who knows what they're going to be drawing? Like a lot of it depends on the trends that they have going for them, but
0: uh yeah it's just interesting yeah like in the comparison with like toronto's coming off this the uh, huge forbidden door too and i'm just thinking like what when they come back to toronto what they come back with and and what the return will be like they did back-to-back nights at the Scotiabank arena collision was like half full but you know forbidden door major success and td mm -hmm. garden major success and i guess you just look at you know this one certainly you look at blood and guts as the difference maker there i i just can't imagine they come off this and go and take a step back to the Agganis arena but i think with time if they space it out i mean like boston should be one of their like a cities for sure And it,
2: it is in terms of how frequently that they run here
0: yeah yeah. like um you know
2: ww WWE, same thing WWE runs boston all the time too um, um it's a historically strong market the big thing about boston um I love feeling questions about Boston, by the way. So now now that this, this podcast could be nothing but me answering questions about Boston, I would love it. But uh, yeah. um, Boston doesn't have um, a real mid-sized venue like some of these other cities have where we don't have like a Coca-Cola Coliseum sized mm-hmm. venue in the city. There's the, um, the former DCU arena in Worcester, which they did run a dynamite in, which is about a, a 9,000
0: seat venue. Which is Did probably that used to be the Centrum Center, or is that a different? A different um,
2: different I believe it used to be the Centrum Center. Um, okay. I, I'm getting the Worcester building because there's also the Worcester Palladium, which is smaller, but I can't remember. But yes, yes, um, that is yeah, it's like a 9,000 um, WCW had, uh, I think it was Slambery 98, uh, yes, was yeah. there the one where Bischoff was gonna was supposed to wrestle Vince McMahon. Uh, um, this is
0: the big guy, uh, the the, the McFoley title win was in that that building, I believe. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, like Massachusetts history here. Yeah. And,
2: and they drew like, I think they drew like a little, uh, just under 6,000, uh, there, but in Boston, it's really the aganis, which is about a 5,000 seat arena. There's a couple other buildings that are around the same size, including the Matthews arena at Northeastern, but there's really no like 10,000 seat venue. Like, like I would say, like the Coca-Cola Coliseum or some of the buildings that they run in Chicago, um, and that maybe would be like a good middle ground for them to run as opposed to the, you know, 17,000 seat TD garden. Um, also, this is a good time to run TD garden, no hockey, no basketball. Um, right. You come back at a different time of the year, especially if they do come back, it's probably going to be in the fall or winter or spring. That's a much more difficult building to get because you're balancing two major sports in addition to concerts and other events that are going to be taking place because it's the A indoor venue uh, in New England. Um, so that's why I assume they're going to, they're going to run it in, in, you know, maybe there's space for a, a new venue in Boston. Uh, it probably not because the, the land would be way too expensive. Um, but that's where I see them, them kind of doing. All right. That, that We got off topic
0: there, but, um, do you have anything else you want to add on, on the subject? No, I mean, it, it's, I think a lot of sort of like a, a lot of good points that you brought up in terms of like the 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 press conferences where the coverage is going and and how it's all ultimately going to change like both of these companies are sort of in this space at the moment where you know as as big or as little as you want to focus on like what the value is of being front and center in the space of like wrestling media like these companies are on the the selling the selling block not literally but in terms of their television rights deals like this is all about Uh, getting as much buzz for yourself as possible and getting and trumpeting these facts. And there's an advantage to them hosting these events at this moment and being able to get up there and talk about breaking the latest uh, building record. And we're doing these gates and we've got this coming up and this coming up and creating uh, that excitement that, that permeates your, your fan base and hopefully extends to momentum for the product that is going to extend to the broadcasters. Like I see all of this stuff connected and a year from now, 18 months from now, when these new television deals are all solidified, like what what is an endeavor-owned WWE? What is their approach going to be when it comes to the, the the media? It's you know, we we can look at the like the UFC and it's largely run, but WWE, it's a different beast than UFC is. And conversely, AEW, like if they if they score this this major rights increase, it's like it's they're home free at that point. And it's Suddenly at that point, like, do these become less and less? Do they continue to put on these press conferences? Um, I think it's all interesting stuff in terms of this odd relationship that exists in like the wrestling media spaces with the companies, because it is a more transparent period than any time of like myself covering these where you're at least getting this level of access. And if this is sort of the peak of it, or if, if more can be developed over time. And you mentioned like Tony, you know, expressing frustration
2: on like, you know, seeing misinformation that's, that's out there in the wrestling media sphere. Um, and Triple H said something, I think at the most recent. Uh, 75%. Yeah. He 75%. Said 75% of what you see online is incorrect. And it's like with both of them respectively, I'm like, well, whose, whose fault is that? Is it two of the most powerful people in the industry that. Uh, where nobody ever goes on the record but everyone also talks to the sheets and WWE is a whole PR department that actively is working with the 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 dirt sheet sites to, to, to try to correct information and things like out there it's to me it's like you can't the wrestling promotions themselves cannot complain about misinformation gaining traction when they do very little uh, effort on their own to media friendly. And that is the ultimate consequence of that. I'm not saying people are making up stories because they're mad that WWE isn't talking to them or they're mad that Tony Khan won't go on the record about something. But when you have no one going on the record and you have no real uh, ability to authoritate what is a credible source and what isn't because of that. And so a lot of it's going to be speculation and rumors. And that is what's going to gain traction because people like sensational news and and you can make it sensational when there's no one who's really going to go on the record and clarify that it's not. Um, so a lot of this is self-inflicted. And a lot of that is an explanation for the benefit of people being on the record. And I want to make it something I want to make clear here is also what's so good about these press conferences and the media calls is that they have to go on the record because they're doing it in a live setting. It's recorded. Recorded. Other media members are there to ask questions. This is not somebody texting, you know, a reporter a rumor that they heard under the the guy in, in remaining anonymous, like you see in most backstage reports in print. This is an opportunity for people to answer questions publicly, and if they're not truthful, to have other media members call them out for it in public, um, in in a public setting, and that's really powerful and really valuable. And I really want to see the wrestling media as a whole make the most of that because it's a really important way for, for transparency to to grow and for the business to ultimately become healthier and better when we're not in this, you know, behind closed doors,
0: carny business that it's been since it existed. The, the more on the record it would be, I mean, that is just, um, that could be our follow-up conversation. It's it's really, really frustrating at, at times when it's such an industry that as many advancements as it's made it's still so shrouded in secrecy and paranoia about anyone attaching their name to any uh, some of the most innocuous things that mm-hmm. it's stressed has to be off the record and it's like it's it, it gets very frustrating and you're right these are very few examples where it forces that that transparency and at, at its base level that's what you can glean from these press conferences is that they are having to put their name behind these words and to an audience
2: mm-hmm yeah and into uh into a, uh, an audience that theoretically is can follow up can ask further questions about this can uh inquire to hold these people accountable to what they're saying um and i don't know it takes a lot of exp- and i will say it takes a lot of experience yes to 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 do this to go to a press conference i've been to a lot of press conferences in my life as a professional but i understand that many people who are in wrestling media have not and i bet you there are a lot of people that started that the first press conference they ever went to was one of these AEW press conferences and now they're much better at going to them and they ask much better questions because they're getting experience and going to them um and so hopefully that improves over time
0: so go to go to your local wrestling press conferences and uh and look out for any water bottles coming your way as well hopefully was it a look. bottle or was it a cap it was a water bottle uh, So it was a whole water bottle yes. and it split them right open cut them open yes yeah, that was, that's a crazy story. I mean, they're lucky John is a nice guy about it. Yeah, they, they should be very lucky that he yeah. was as uh, understanding as he was. But that was, yeah. uh yeah, I, I don't think we'll see any more of those. I think any uh random objects being uh batted towards the audience.
2: Yeah, and Jericho of all people who you would think would know better. But I guess it, it really is an accident
0: in the sense of. Yeah. I don't think he came in like premeditated but again it's like you're putting this performer in in character like he's in a certain like mindset here like uh, i'm not gonna go too deep here on like method acting and such but he is this character and he's acting in the moment and it's like you know you don't excuse it but at the same time like you are putting him in the situation where he is performing and you know just thought on the fly. I don't think he was giving too much great thought. I don't think he walked in there with the intent to do that saw a water bottle he was holding a bat and probably just improvised right there and he, there he saw John
2: Muse and he just got into a rage because hes uh that was that's that's what that I mean if it was premeditated it would have been uh that's 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 that's, 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 that's that, that there's a story that we should get uh, Jericho's hatred of John Muse apparently but uh yeah, I mean that's that's the, really that is an unacceptable thing to happen in a press conference yeah. I mean I don't, I probably wouldn't happen in a WWE press conference, but I wouldn't say it wouldn't have happened in an AEW press conference. Um, but there it did. So um, is there anything, John, you want to plug that we haven't gotten around to yet?
0: Well, if you want to uh, check out any more of my work, you can do so at postwrestling.com. Our Patreon is postwrestlingcafe.com. We do a lot of shows up there each and every week, including um a weekly show that brandon thurston and i do it's a collaboration between post wrestling and wrestlenomics usually goes up uh wednesday or thursday each week uh we've had a bunch of guests on over the last couple of months since we uh, launched this uh, series so it's always fun uh to chat with brandon and uh and a big thank you to you jesse for inviting me on it was uh, great to chat with you i'm a big fan of your work as well so i was glad we got to do this
2: Yeah, no. And again, I appreciate the time you took, John. And I appreciate everyone who's been listening to these shows. Um, Everyone have a great weekend and we'll talk to you again in a while.